You're listening to the Teen Wolf Rewolf. So, we are dumb. How so? So, we had a lovely listener reach out to us on Twitter. Hi, Catherine. Um, who informed us that Kira is in season five. <laughs> Y'all just let us do that all season. You let us say that all season. And we oh, and she was like, I've been catching up. So it turns out that Catherine would have let us know the second she found out. And everybody else just let us sound like idiots. How rude. That said, I think the biggest issue is that we were blinded <laughs> by hate. <laughs> I truly, honest to God, remember nothing about season five beyond the minutes-long montages of the Dread Doctors walking down a hallway. I remember a lot of Silver Sharpie. Silver Sharpie, people um, bleeding, Silver Sharpie throwing up, Silver Sharpie, uh, Theo. Theo. That's about it. Yeah. That's all I got. Is that when Liam falls in the hole? Possibly. There's a Nazi, right? I thought that was... Yes. <laughs> Actually, I feel like... Season what season five is the Nazi to six is like everybody's a Nazi, you know? Yeah. Well, the whole thing about season six B is that it's an allegory for the Trump presidency. So you know, Nazis. Mm, yeah. Um, but yeah, like it, I was like, thank you for informing me that I am a dumbass. Like no one actually needs to tell me that, but I do like when people point out specifics. <laughs> so sorry for any miss you know, representation we had of Kira's character not being in season five. It's because we literally didn't remember. But I now that we are on the last episode of season four, mm-hmm. we have to go into season five with a clear fucking slate. Like, I yeah, I'm going to go in with an open mind. An open mind. We'll do yeah. some yoga before every episode. Some meditation. Yeah. Um, yeah, which, okay, to clear something up, we were not wishing for Kira to go. We no. just literally couldn't remember. Couldn't remember. I do love her, though. Yeah, But I so kept much. sitting there being like, how are they going to wrap up Kira's thing with her Foxfire? They haven't even introduced it yet. And stupid me just thought that they threw it in in the last two episodes instead of it being like a season-long plotline, which it is in 5A. <laughs> <laughs> But I would like to say that's maybe on Teen Wolf for me, assuming that that's something that could just happen, you know? Because they do that shit all the time. Exactly. Yeah. So I'd say that we are hand in hand in this mistake. <laughs> in in the dumbness. Like, my buffoonery is one thing, but their inability to complete a season that I can remember is... Another thing. A whole other thing. Yeah. Yeah. We, we are in, you know, a really interesting time. About uh, remembering things. Those Oscars, I will try to forget immediately. <laughs> did you guys watch the Oscars? Anybody? We did. It was weird. Weird. Zoom. I, you know, I was thinking about the Zoom Golden Globes, which we watched. Mm-hmm. Did I prefer those? Uh, Misha Collins was not at the Zoom Golden Globes. Glenn so Close, that. Glenn Close did not do debut at the Golden <laughs> Globes. So, but there were clips, I think. Yeah, if I'm remembering that correctly, and people were weirdly like in their pajamas, but also gowns. Yeah, yeah. I just remember Jason Sudeikis's like absolutely hoodie. unhinged <laughs> speech in a hoodie, just giving off major divorced dad energy. <laughs> I will say, I had no interest in watching that show, but now I kind of want to. Yeah. If only if that energy is present. But yeah. yeah, we had a crazy night watching the Oscars, and uh, now we're finishing up season four. It kind of feels like we're moving into the summer lull. Like, obviously, the Oscars are a lot earlier, normal in the year, like in, normally in the year, but we're about to enter bad movie season because mm-hmm. the summer is bad movie <laughs> season, and we're about to enter season five. 
So I think we need to celebrate this as much as possible. We got a little bit of bub just to say hello and goodbye to season four. Here, give me your glass and I'll do the clinky asthma. Okay. Ready? For everybody at home. Cheers. Cheers. Yay. It was also like 80 degrees today, so perhaps that's fueling the summer feeling. Mm-hmm. It was very warm. Um, and, you know, it's warm in Mexico. Where this episode takes place. Nice segue. Thank you. Because we're talking about Teen Wolf. Because this is a Teen Wolf Free Wolf podcast. A podcast where, I don't know, it's been a lot of gossip recently. <laughs> where we get things wrong about where, Teen where Wolf. Where we get things absolutely wrong about Teen Wolf. My name is Christian. I'm Julia. And we're about to present to you the season finale of season four of Teen Wolf and the season finale of the fourth season of the Teen Wolf Free Wolf podcast. Uh-huh. It is called Smoke and Mirrors, and it was uh, written by Jeff Davis and directed by Russell Mulcahy. It's been a while. I know. The um, king has returned. <laughs> Return of the king. Return of our beloved. Yes. Um, yes. Very exciting to see his name pop up in the credits. Um, the, I know. I feel like the constant refrain of season four is everything happens so much. Um, but in this episode, truly, everything happened. So, so much. much. My notes page is, I already, like, I have fairly cramped handwriting, so I can fit a lot in one space. If I take up an entire page of something, it, I mean business. I had to flip to the back and my handwriting is all kinds of insane. Yeah. See, if I fail supremely at the 60 second recap, it's just because I can't read it. <laughs> but also, I mean, we had to pause in the middle of this and I realized that I had taken almost a full page of notes and we were halfway through the episode. Mm-hmm. So... So I guess we have to work hard this episode. I guess we have to think about it. Damn. Well, I mean, that's what we're here for. Mm-hmm. I said, I posted that like uh, Tumblr post that was like, some of you guys are so pretentious, except for me talking about the things <laughs> I care about. And I was like, yeah, us talking about Teen Wolf. Because it's important. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's important to be critical of Teen Wolf and the Oscars and what else have we talked about so far? You know, anything that we bring up on this podcast to critique. Yeah. We also signed up for and created and did this podcast. So it's not like working hard was a thing that we said we weren't going to do. That's true. What was the last time we, what was the last thing we said we liked on this podcast? It <laughs> wasn't Jennifer's body. <laughs> no, we've had the we've, Muppets. That's true. Muppets Christmas Carol. Mm hmm. We've had some pretty good times during season four. I'll, I'm sad to see it go. Yeah. Yeah. It was uh, fun. Mostly. Yeah. Yeah. Are you ready to crack into the episode? I'm going to try. Uh, I think you're going first on this recap. I think I am. I was prepared to do so. It. I just want to warn everyone right now. It's not going to go well for me. I feel like we just already warned them with our notes yeah. page banter. So I'm just going <laughs> to count you off and you just got to go. Okay. Okay. One, two, three. Okay, so Kira wakes up in Log Lacey on her pile of bones looking for Scott, and he attacks her. And we find out that this is a smoking mirror temple, and that Peter told Kate how to create the berserkers. The sheriff doesn't want Styles to go to Mexico, obviously. Um, Derek and Brayden are preparing to go to save them, but he's sad that his powers are gone, and he just wants to help. Peter suggests recruiting the whole pack, and Liam wants to go, too. He also hasn't seen Star Wars, um, but they're waiting for Lydia, and she isn't showing up. Um, everybody is, you know, road tripping to Mexico. Derek gives Liam the Triskelade because it's also a full moon, and he's afraid that he's going to wolf out. Um, 
and then Mason goes looking for Lydia because he's also at the school and gets knocked out. Um, Carol hallucinates Nishiko and is like, I'm going to heal by grabbing onto some obsidian because, oh, Scott stabbed her. Very important. Um, Mason and Lydia are like trapped in a closet by the berserker. Um, Liam starts to wolf out and then Peter and Malia are having their weird little bonding moment. Um, the sun, the moon and the truth mantra ends up working on Liam. They get to La Iglesia and immediately Derek gets stabbed and die. No, not, not really yet. Um, and then he sends them all away to save Scott. The sheriff um, calls and says he's going to go to find Lydia and Mason. Um, oh, girl. I really was on such a roll. I was, well, I was also like, this is the fastest I think I've ever heard Julia talk. I was going for it. Anybody who hangs around this podcast, um, I like to say, I prefer, I prefer to think that people are hanging out with us. Yeah, you know? they're here. Uh, knows that I speak incredibly quickly and you sort of keep me on track, but that you gave me a run for my money there. I was running out of breath. I, I witnessed. <laughs> I was impressed. Uh, and if I can't get that far in my 60 second recap, then you can be the queen for the season. Thanks. Um, I did not. I got halfway through. So. We'll All right. See. Yeah, I guess we'll, we'll see. I guess we'll see. Uh, are you ready to uh, try your today hand? Today especially, no. Okay. Well, um, I'm so sorry to hear that, but you have a minute on the clock starting right now. So Kira wakes up in La Iglesia and realizes that Scott has been turned into a uh, berserker, and then Kate explains the name, and then also how she can explain the berserkers because she's La Loba, and then she tells Kira that she's going to make Scott kill her. Uh, the sheriff tells Styles he can't go to Mexico, and he's like, we got to go to Mexico, and then Derek laments about losing his powers to Braden, and then Peter shows up, and he's like, we got to rally the troops and go to Mexico, and Styles and Malia get Scott sent, and then Liam um, it, it begs them to let him come, but they're like, oh, there's a full moon, dude. But he comes anyway, and then Styles says they can't go without Lydia, but she's been stalked by a berserker and then Peter tells him to leave without her and it, like and then him and Malia are in their car and they're all driving to Mexico and then Derek gives Liam the triscaling because he's wolfing out and then the, the alpha beta omega thing doesn't work but the sun and truth does so they make it to Mexico and they start shooting everybody and then uh, Kira hallucinates and Chico so she figures out how to heal and then Liam and Mason wake up in the, in the basement there's a berserker watching them and then Derek dies in this big fight but then he is not really dead and then Styles and Malia are going after the Berserker, and Kira finally tells Styles that it's actually Scott, so they stop, and then they realize that Peter is the one who's been helping Kate this whole time. The Calaveras show up, and so does Chris. And that and- is time. Oh. You were really cruising. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Here's what you need to know. <laughs> Here's what you missed on Glee. Chris shoots Kate with some yellow wolf spain. Derek returns as the full wolf that we have seen Talia turn into in previous episodes. Liam breaks through Scott's brainwashing and Scott is able to reclaim his humanity and breaks off the berserker shells and fights Peter and is like, you have never been an alpha, but you have always been a monster, which yeah. Okay. And (laughs) yeah. And Um, Kate runs away after trying to manipulate Chris with, by evoking Allison's name, which is like the theme of the last couple episodes. Mm -hmm. And Chris tells the gang that he has agreed to help the Calaveras if it means hunting, like to help them hunt down Kate. The gang returns to Beacon Hills. Styles is punished by being handcuffed to a desk. Peter is relegated to Eichenhaus, and the coach doesn't believe a single thing he said. <laughs> uh, Lydia also gives Parrish their little hand-bound copy of the Bestiary. Really cute. I, I like the idea of them going to like a local like book binding shop and being like can you make this and then being like yeah is this for a school project and then being like 
Yeah. Actually, do you know what it reminded me of when she like opened up the page to the Canima? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you ever had any of those dragonology, Egyptology books you yeah, bought girl. at Barnes and Noble, and that's what it looked like to me. See, there was like the dragonology, there was the Egyptology, and then there were the horse encyclopedias. Mm. I there was one horse encyclopedia that I got every year for my birthday just from different friends. That. <laughs> Like people would come to my birthday party and then give me a present and they, I just kept getting the same horse encyclopedia. Well, I I guess that's sweet that they know that you like horses, mm, but everyone knows I like horses. (laughs) Yeah. In a sad way. (laughs) Um, but yeah, Paris gets his little, um, Barnes and Noble, Harry Potter, Quidditch through the ages bestiary moment. Yeah. Wait, what was it? You used to be able to buy Fantastic Beasts where to find them. Yeah. I actually have. I think I have a copy too. Yeah. Too bad Harry Potter is canceled. <laughs> they all, Too bad, especially because they just came out with like new editions that look really nice as opposed to like the shitty paperbacks I have yeah, somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> they were like little, like 50 page little books. And the Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them one had like claw marks on it. And it had little notes in it from Harry and Ron. Yes. <laughs> the marketing. <laughs> Genius. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe the only thing good about Harry Potter was the marketing. The marketing. Hmm. Hmm. So food for thought. We went to a lot of those midnight release parties. Mm-hmm. So um, anyway, so we're gonna, as you said, this episode is called Smoke and Mirrors. And this episode, we're going to be talking about through the theme of defiance. Um, it, this is a theme that stretches pretty broadly throughout the episode. It's both personal and also um, more metaphorical and psychological um i'm really interested interested to talk about it especially since this is a very much like reunion episode every person we've met throughout this season is the exception of meredith is there yeah Yeah. meredith kind of wrapped up her whole deal so that's okay yeah um we'll have more on that later uh but who would you like to start with talking about this episode i kind of want to talk about lydia and mason yeah um because they don't get to join the fun party in Mexico uh, on purpose. Yeah. That is an incredible thing that, like, Lydia is sitting there knowing that the reason she's not there is because she's predicting Scott's death. And to have to sit there by herself and then, like, the only person she could tell is Mason, who, like, doesn't know <laughs> doesn't get anything it. about this. is crazy. Yeah. Especially because Kate has not exactly shown herself to be the savviest of planners. This possibly is like a a Peter influence. Um, but someone was like, put a berserker on Lydia and not just because it prevents Lydia from, uh, you know, realizing that Scott's the one who's dying, but Kate only has two berserkers. If there was suddenly a third one, that would be suspicious. Mm -hmm. So that's very smart. Um, and, this kind of puts Lydia once again in a position of her being like, I have these powers and I can't do anything with them. And not this time because she can't access them, but because she can't tell anyone. Yeah. Yeah. And it is interesting because Lydia's powers are so psychological. And, you know, I think when you think about the thing that like Mace, the place that Mason is going to end up serving the pack, it's also like a mental ability because he's so smart and ends up sort of fulfilling the role that Lydia has all these previous seasons. He is somebody who also can't use um, his power in this situation of intelligence. And so because they're put in this position, their act of defiance is that they can't rely on what these two would normally always rely on, which is their street smarts. Lydia pulls out a baseball bat and she's like, 
I defy you stars. I'm going to, <laughs> I am going to beat this berserker because it is the only chance I have of saving my friends. And especially as Lydia for many, many seasons, um, can often get relegated to the like sort of damsel in distress mode. And we're about mm-hmm. to see that in season five again, which is like, Ugh. she's a tough cookie. Quit it. Um, she defies her place in this, in the pack and the way that she is treated, um, by picking up that baseball bat. And she takes charge in a way that we rarely see her because I think that Lydia kind of likes playing chess and orchestrating things from afar, mm-hmm. but giving Mason an order is like pretty crazy. She's so in charge in that moment, which is very impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I love watching that. And especially I, this is a great episode for, um, folks who are not normally together to have moments together. Oh yeah. Um, and Lydia and Mason is a great example of that because have they literally talked to each other no. outside of this? I don't think so. All? Um, and you can also like, you can tell that she, um, really wants to tell Mason what's going on. And that's, that in and of itself is kind of like an act of defiance in like, well, we're not telling Mason because we want to keep him safe or like Liam doesn't want him to know, but like, this is not the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Funny thing about Mason is that his defiance is actually sort of, uh, sort of internal. He doesn't at first want to believe what he's seeing, you know? Yeah. He keeps referring to the berserker as like a man. Yeah. Which I guess, like, I mean, it, it looks humanoid mm-hmm. underneath all that. Um, and he really has to defy his own instincts to come to realize that what they're fighting is not human. And he is maybe having to come to terms with these, like the sort of introduction to the supernatural in a far more, um, like seat of the pants type of way, because it's not like it's happening to him, like in the way that it happens to Scott or happens to Liam, it is something that is happening like it doesn't happen like internally to him. It's happening to him externally. And he all of a sudden has have to be very aware of that. Um, so we do see him sort of have this internal battle and eventually he does defy his instincts to be like, that's not human. Mm-hmm. He starts referring to it as it like Lydia does, which is really hard. Yeah. To just, uh, throw out like everything you think, you know, about the natural order of the universe. And this is like one example of the supernatural that Mason is coming head to head with. But once you start, um, to acknowledge that nothing in reality is safe anymore. Mm -hmm. He's having a tough day. Yeah. Yeah, he is. I also think there's an element of him sort of, you know, he's had, we, we had a little bit of an H to H with Liam in the last episode where they are kind of on better terms with how they're approaching their friendship. And I think that it's kind of a big ask for Liam to call and be like, Hey, you got to start doing me some favors, you know, mm-hmm. especially when it seems that like something is off, like Lydia is missing and he sort of defies his instinct to not, you know, go after that problem. Um, which is wonderful. Cause Mason is great. He is great. I will say that nobody on this show seems to have horror movie instincts because Mason's just walking around this dark, high school like we've watched all of these characters do at one point okay did your high school not have timer lights where like if you or like motion sensor lights um i can't remember but i also just feel like the light switch is by the door true turn the lights on you on. you could do that it's well within your power but they never do yeah um unfortunately these two are not a huge part of the episode structured that way um Mm -hmm. but it is a an interesting side plot especially because it's nice to have something grounding us to beacon hills while this is all happening um do you want to talk about styles i want to talk about styles. i love talking about styles let's do it 
So Styles um, is his main act of defiance is against his father and the sheriff is trying to do everything in the right order of the law, especially cause we know that the sheriff is in like deep shit professionally <laughs> because he just like basically got done with a, um, investigation into his position by Scott's dad. Yeah. Raphael came in to fuck everybody's life up. Yeah. Where is he? <laughs> we haven't seen him in a while. Weird because he was very present. Not very present, but he was like, I'm going to come to your games. But and he then was eating Chinese food with my cousin Miguel. Yeah, and he's just not there. Yeah. Whatever. Um. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, but you can you know exactly why the sheriff is trying to do this in the right order. And Styles is like, yeah, 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 we'll do it your way. And then he calls up the gang and is like, so we're going to Mexico. Pack a bag. So we can't do it your way. Yeah. Um, and for Styles, like, yes, of course, that is an act of defiance. But um, for him, I, that really just seems like the only option. Um, whereas, like, you and I can sit out here and rationalize why the sheriff wants to behave that way. I think there might be some sort of frustration on Styles' part that, like, his dad is not fully on board um, with the supernatural. Like, he is. He's aware. He's like participating. There's He's a on the serious level of skepticism there. Like mm-hmm. he even says, like, how am I just I'm just supposed to believe some psychic vision that, you know, Deaton picked up in the mental hospital that Scott's in Mexico? Because like when missing persons like reports are issued, you start local. Yes. Oh, it is um so evident to anyone with like two brain cells why the sheriff is behaving that way. Um, but from an external standpoint, like if you are internal as we are, because we follow along with the pack, you're like, wake up sheriff buddy. Whose name I think is Noah, but we never (laughs) call him by his first name. Cause I don't think we know what it is. Cause nobody, I think his name is Noah, but I don't think anyone else ever calls him that. No. Um, I think like once Melissa Melissa maybe does, or maybe I literally feel like the time we most hear it is in six a. Hmm. Yeah. Cause Claudia is, is around. Yeah. Quote unquote. Quoth and quoth. Um, yeah, it's a uh, styles, but styles doesn't even think for like a minute about not doing this. No, I think defiance is baked into styles character. Mm-hmm. It's actually how the show starts. Um, yeah, so. it is crucial. Yeah. And he, because styles is very defi- defiant, he is worrisome of everybody's uh, intentions, which is why he's so, sort of strict about the sort of guidelines he gives for Malia riding shotgun with Peter, which, yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, this episode reminds everybody that Peter is crazy and a bad man. Yeah. But he has every reason to be like, it doesn't matter if he looks like he's on our side right now. Don't listen to him. Mm -hmm. I defy whatever he is putting into the universe because he doesn't ever actually want to help us. So why is he here? Why are we going to Mexico with him? Yeah, well, it's funny because, like, in that moment, Styles is the voice of reason. Um, that's not even the only moment he does that. <laughs> like, no, but it's it's funny because, like, you couch it as Styles is like doing this kind of reckless thing of going to Mexico, defying his dad, um, and then he gets you know in his pack where he has a certain amount of authority, and um, he's telling everyone what to do, mm-hmm. and he's the rational one. Yes. Um. And, you know, he, this is kind of a smaller moment, but it is a key part of it, is he has to go up against his friends to convince them 
that Scott is the berserker, you know? Yeah. And Kira is ultimately the one who has to physically stop Malia because by that point they are so engrossed in that fight that it would, it would take something like Malia cutting in half, like the knife that Malia is wielding to be like, no, seriously, this is Scott because everything that Peter has been, um, indoctrinating them with from the beginning of the episode that there's nothing that could save a berserker. There's no part of humanity in, in them anymore has like the idea that when you strip something of its humanity, it kind of is basically saying like, so it's okay to kill. Mm-hmm. Um, and you see that the, that Liam and Malia and obviously Peter who would kill something anyway, cause he's not so are on their way to killing Scott and it takes styles going up against his friends to 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 pause that process yeah which is particularly impressive because like we've seen liam having all of these awful hallucinations he's terrified of the berserkers and malia has said you know in the car with peter that she's scared of returning to her animal self um so they've kind of just like given themselves over to that um passion one of the most interesting things about that conversation I think is when Peter is like, you need to stop conflating control with humanity. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that that is one of those things that sort of allows her and Liam to, I mean, Liam is already like knee deep in full moon juice. Yes. So that is its own thing. (laughs) But like, I think that's one of those things where Malia is like, then I will just give myself over to it Mm -hmm. without considering that that still does require control in her animal part. Um, and styles has to go up against that, which is really interesting to me. Um, I want to talk about Kira. Let's, let's talk about Kira. Kira also gets a little bit damsel in distress to this episode. It is so infuriating. And Why we talked ha- about we this. We haven't seen lightning. <laughs> we haven't seen lightning since the beginning of this season. Where is it, mama? I you was... are the most powerful person <laughs> on this show. I was honestly sitting there while we were watching this, trying to think, does she need electricity to conduct electricity? But no, she puts that katana back together all by herself. All by her lonesome. She, she shocks people. Bulb. She lights the light bulb. Um, yeah, she doesn't need any of that. And it's very interesting because she starts hallucinating Noshiko. And Kira has been kind of involved in acts of defiance um, throughout this season. And like season three, um, where she's like, I'm going to be part of this pack. And I'm going to you know, follow Scott. And I am going to be this... Um, you know, supernatural creature. Like she's already kind of gone through all this and she's like, we're not going to move. We're not going to leave Beacon Hills. Um, so why hasn't her mother taught her how to use her powers? And I know her mom is like airlifted to another hospital, but there's been time. Um, yeah. Well, I also think that what ended up on the editing room floor, have we been seeing scenes of Nishiko and Kira that just didn't make it to the episode, it feels really crazy that it, I don't want to believe that the writer's room was like ignoring that, you know? Yeah. But it's funny to me that, that if they were shooting stuff like that, that it got cut in favor of what? I I don't even know. Cause there hasn't even really been any gratuitous nudity in this season. No. So what were they doing? Hmm. Um. <laughs> At least in three, a, we could point to all of like, the like Lydia and Aiden making out in the closet stuff where he'd be like, was that necessary? Now I'm not entirely sure what was or wasn't necessary. (laughs) It's a teen show. I would say some makeouts are necessary. Yeah. But in terms of defiance, Kira defies death. 
Literally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and this isn't even the first time really, but I think that there is something so powerful about her choosing to suffer more in order to like save herself. Mm -hmm. Um, that was a really touching scene. And I think that you would probably agree with this. It was a really good callback to Allison hallucinating her mother while trying to stitch Scott up in the bathroom. Yes. And that's in 3A. I think that's three. I think that's the fifth episode of 3A. It's the episode before Motel California. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, it was a nice callback for sure. And I, I mean, I liked the little tie-in with, you know, foxes and wolves don't get along, but they're very similar. Um, so bringing some of the lore together. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, and then in the end of the episode, that, uh, um, piece of obsidian. It's her first tale. It's her first tale, which I find very interesting that you can like create tales. I think it's a Horcrux situation. I think you put part of yourself in it, the object and because Nishiko fights with knives, hers are knives, but mm-hmm. because Kira fights with a litany of various um, traditional Japanese weapons, including nunchucks. Where did those go? Where did they go? But also I was sitting there thinking to myself um, when Noshiko asks her, do you know what that is? I'm like, any person who's watched Naruto for five seconds knows what that is. It was like a throwing star. And she was like a tail. And I was like, oh, oh that right, too. A tail. Cool. <laughs> um, yeah. But I mean, she ultimately, you know, chooses, um, chooses to live which is really hard to do especially when you're in the kind of pain that she was in um in that moment and mm-hmm. then also like styles has to choose to go up against her friends because she knows what is right and she knows that scott is a berserker yes well she defies death to save scott Ugh. good girlfriend <laughs> alert lots of like self-sacrifice all for scott he's worth it mama he is worth it he is and he is usually the one sacrificing for other people. So it's nice to not nice. I don't want that to happen to him, but no, but I, I see mm-hmm. where you're coming from. I mean, I think there's sort of an exchange where like styles, the styles and Scott sacrificing for each other is sort of like, have you ever seen that comic? That's like two people who keep trying to use like, do, like shield the other from an oncoming bullet, but they just keep running in front of each other to be the person. No, that's like Scott in style. That's true. That is true. But you're right. I mean, like now that the pack is expanding, um, we're seeing other people who are willing to, you know, die on the altar of Scott McCall, which is like, it's literally in a church. You guys, <laughs> this is happening in a church. Everybody goes because they have, um, this strong emotional tie to Scott. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Kira didn't go there on purpose. She was kidnapped, but, yeah. um, she does laugh in the face of death yeah. to save her beloved. She's so badass. I love Kira. So good. And I missed seeing Nishiko. I realized that we hadn't seen her in quite a bit since she was hurt in this season. And I was like, yeah, bring her back. I like her being on the roster of parents, especially because she, I think she adds something pretty different, which is like a sternness that we like, like like all of the sort of, um, like any kind of punishment that comes from Melissa and the sheriff is a little bit like, it's kind of (laughs) funny. And everything from Chris is very like warrior like, but in a way that Allison immediately adapts to, but like from Nishiko, it's very much like they clash in a way that I find really interesting. Mm -hmm. Nishiko and Kira mostly defy each other. (laughs) (laughs) 
um, which I love. Do you want to talk a little bit about Chris? Speaking of Chris, another person who has defied death to be in Mexico. Uh, he should be in the ICU. He really should not be walking around and or even at the end of this battle, getting in the car with the Calaveras. Are they going to take him to a hospital? If he dies, I, he's I'm not useful to them. I'm just assuming that his insides are soup and he is stapled together. Like, that is the only... Hello? Just, like, pl- pl- plugged up with, like, cotton. Yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, I'm just assuming that Chris... The reason why Chris keeps missing when he's trying to shoot Kate is because he is just absolutely <laughs> up the wazoo on Ox here or something. Something. <laughs> yeah, it, uh, it is crazy that Chris is in this episode. Um, and I really, you know... It makes me kind of wonder what the decision making was around him, around having him be like impaled through the stomach because they could have gone like the 127 hours route where he just had to like cut off an arm or something. And I feel like that's a little more understandable. Oh my God. What if Chris had a robot arm? We already said a robot Like we already think he's hot. Right. Right. So picture this with a robot arm. Yes. Smash that like button if you think Chris should have a robot. <laughs> Clearly then, we do. Yo, then he would really be an arms dealer. <laughs> that was so bad. You laughed. So I did. It wasn't that bad. I did. I was having a great time. So Chris is not only defying uh, logic, medical <laughs> reasoning. The laws of physics. What I really think Chris is um defying right now is his sort of like protective instinct over his family chris has no interest in losing anybody else um and yet he is fully prepared to kill kate and i I think that line at the end and i wrote it in my notes Mm -hmm. where she's like you're not gonna kill me chris and he goes yeah but i'm not gonna save you anymore either because i don't think that you can be saved anymore yeah and i think that's a little bit part of like chris has realized that he has been defying his own instincts for this whole season in not just killing Kate, even though he's probably the only one who is capable. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, it, he comes to realization that he can't keep doing that. Which is so interesting, particularly juxtaposed to he sat there and let Victoria kill herself. Yeah. Like he held her in his arms. He, he didn't try to talk her. Out. I, I don't know. Maybe he did try to talk her out of it, but like he let it happen. So he clearly, I guess when he was like, well, we're going to leave that life behind, um, via Allison's encouragement, he's like, well, now I have to look at this in a different light. Um, and also Kate is the only one of his family left. Gerard is technically alive. Yeah. But who cares about Gerard? (laughs) He's coughing up like black spew somewhere in an old folks home. Like Gerard is dead to Chris, you know, that's true. And I think that when he it's not even that Kate isn't also dead to him because Kate is abhorrent and he knows that but there is an element of being like I let my wife die by the code I don't want that to be the reason Kate goes Mm -hmm. it's a little bit about making it up to himself you know ask again ask again and he would never ever let Victoria do that no and you know Kate brings up Allison in their conversation, which I just think is so horrific. Um, People have been doing that a lot in the last couple episodes. And mm -hmm. it's like, all of you get her name out of your dirty mouths. Especially to imply that it is like Scott's fault that Allison is dead. Right. 
uh, which is just horrific. And it kind of makes me wonder if Chris has been walking around asking himself, WWAD, what would Allison do in this situation with Kate? Mm -hmm. Um, Like, how would she have wanted to handle that? Because so I feel like so much of what we see Chris doing in this season and then like later on is like honoring Allison and what she wanted. Um, And he's just reached the end of his rope. Yeah. With Kate. Yeah. And, and his, you know, sort of final act of defiance is to be like, how dare you speak that about my daughter? Because the thing that I am most proud of is that she died protecting her friends. Mm-hmm. Um, I miss Allison. This so much. I, yeah. Oh, Crystal. Ugh. I know. Crystal, Crystal Reed. I'm going to speak directly to you. I know why you left. I get it. But did you have to? But we, but we miss you. But we miss you. you. Yeah. A lot. Uh-huh. Um, would you like now to speak about Liam? Liam, my sweet child. It was so good to see him. He's been conspicuously absent. Yeah. For a while now. Uh-huh. Because he was scared that he was on the Deadpool. And, you know, we talked pretty extensively. I would be too. I, so. Yeah, no, no judgment towards that at all. I am also really conceited, though. So I'd be like, <laughs> why am I not on the Deadpool? Nobody wants me dead. That's ridiculous. Why am I only worth $2 million? <laughs> yeah, my vanity would over- <laughs> overwhelm any sense of fear I had. <laughs> Well, and that is what Liam is doing throughout this whole episode is he is defying his own um, fear and terror because his, I think his main... Also his own werewolf transformation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, He, like the last time that we saw Liam, he basically was like, Scott, like, I don't know if that I can do this because I'm not like you um, because he's afraid, Uh, which again, completely understandable. He's 15. I get it. He's 15 years old. He's a wee baby. Yes. Um, but, you know, I think he's kind of come around. And, like, the only way to get over your fear is, like, exposure therapy, I guess. Um, and he loves Scott. And perhaps that, you know, conversation with Brett was what helped him to understand that, like, oh, no, I want to go help Scott despite how terrified I am. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he's not only defying like personal instinct, he's defying his wolf instinct. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that after he has that conversation, you're right with, with Brett, he's a little bit like he, defying, you know, his own ideas of himself. He's like, F you like three episodes ago, me, I can do this. And it's not just Scott and it is Scott. I would do this for, but like, mm-hmm. there is a reason I'm here, you know? And I think that that's really impressive. Um, and I think that that. What I thought was really interesting um, was the mantra he yeah. he chose um, that worked for him. Because I really like the idea that Derek is grounded by the idea that anybody can be leveled power-wise at any time. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing that through this season, that Derek is weirdly calm about the fact that he is going through what he's going through. And I think that's because it's part of how Derek believes the universe exists like harmoniously. But Liam doesn't really care very much about power. No. That doesn't really interest him. His interest him. His own place in the pack, I don't even really think interests him. Um, but he does care about, like, being true. Not in, like, a sort of 
being true to yourself type of way, but like being earnest in your actions and like being honest about how you go through the world. And I think that that is why that's the mantra that, that picks him. So he even defies the training that Derek is right there trying to give him (laughs) in a werewolf crash course. Well, what I think is so interesting about that too, is, um, thinking back to what, um, Satomi was saying in, I don't even know how many episodes ago it was. Um, three of it, whenever the Deadpool ends um, and she's talking to Derek about what that means and she's saying that you know we are animals like we are mo- monsters but not like that we do monstrous things but like our nature is violent mm-hmm. um, and so like to to ground yourself in your humanity and like exist both with your humanity and with your animal side um, being part of that mantra and like you know Buddhism yeah, uh, is cool. And it's also kind of in defiance of Liam as like an angry person, which is kind of how he's been defined by most people in his life. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And I think maybe even how he defines himself, because by the time you hear that over and over again, like he even has like a, a diagnosed condition. So he is like, my disease is anger. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that this is his way of sort of affronting that and moving beyond it, you know? Yeah. I can be all things at once. The sun, the moon, the truth. Yes. Um, he also yeah. defies Peter's warnings yeah. about berserkers because he is the one to bring Scott back to Earth. Who yeah. knows where he is? Yeah. Um, it's his words. I would have loved, because you know how we sometimes get the red wolf vision? Mm-hmm. I would have loved to see what it looked like through the berserker eyes. Like, yes. I would, that would have been an amazing, um, not special effect, but like interesting observation of why Scott would attack. Because like, what if it's like they look like monsters through the eye of the berserker? Right? Right. Um, I don't know. I feel like it is just... A, a lack of kind of autonomous thought when you become a berserker. So sorry. Um, you know, you just, you follow orders. Yeah. Basically. I love a, a winter soldier, soldier plotline. <laughs> yeah. They're, I mean, they're being manipulated. I don't think that they, um, view humans like any differently. Um, there's just like not perhaps a sense of, um, human responsibility attached to them. Cause you, when you're a berserker, you're technically not human anymore, yeah. I guess. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, you know, fundamentally defiance goes against what it is to be a berserker as so far as they are explained in Teen Wolf. Mm-hmm. But you're right. Like Liam does. And it is with such like earnest hope, just like the desperate belief that Scott will understand that it is him. And And all he really says is like, Scott, it's me, right? Well, he says, um, Scott, you're not a monster. You're a werewolf like me, which is just repeating almost verbatim what Scott said to him when he first got bitten, um, which is really emotional. It's very cute. It's very cute. I'm a little clamped. A little. um, Because Liam has been on such a journey of acceptance throughout this whole season. Self-acceptance, yeah. Self-acceptance and, like, acceptance of becoming a werewolf. And Scott has totally give him, given him this freedom of, like, you don't have to be part of our pack. I'm still going to look out for you, but it's okay if you, like, can't take on these responsibilities. I respect you. And, um, you know, it's so touching that Liam is able to reach him by saying the exact same thing that Scott said to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a lot. It is. It's... 
It's very sweet. And um, I think that also would defy Scott's expectations of Liam. Yeah. Which, because again, you said, like, Scott is, you know, benevolent in all ways and would never force Liam to be in a position he doesn't want to be in, Mm -hmm. which is why he is laissez-faire with Liam's werewolf career. Not in the way where he's not protecting him, obviously, but in the way where he's, like, not, like, being like, you have to hang out with me in styles or whatever. Like, <laughs> he's giving Liam the freedom of a life. Mm-hmm. and Which is something he didn't get to have. And also, partially that I think that is the guilt that Scott feels. Where he's like, it's my fault that you're a werewolf now. Yeah. Because um, he doesn't really... Which is such an interesting um, sort of uh, dialectic... Uh, compared to Peter saying in this episode, I gave you the gift. It's like, I, it's re- it's less fault and more like... Um, you're welcome. You're welcome. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, do you want to talk about Malia and Peter real quick? Let's let's do that. Uh, what what were your thoughts? What was going through your mind? Well, in the car, I was like, she is in the perfect place to be manipulated by him, and I think that she is so trusting of Styles, even after Styles is the one who withheld the information about Peter being her dad this whole time. She is so much more trusting of his instincts and his, you know, opinions on everything about Peter that she does kind of listen to him. And everything that Peter says, she takes with a grain of salt, even when Peter is, you know, kind of speaking the truth. Like I said, I love that thing where he was like, being human isn't actually about control, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and she is set up for a place to be manipulated and then is is so, insofar as the fact that she is fighting a berserker that she doesn't realize, realize is Scott. But the second she realizes that it is, she's broken away from that. You know, Peter has no hold over her. And I think that, like, you know, there's always stories about, like, people finding out that they have, like, some random dad and then, like, wanting to, like, prove something to that random dad. And the fact mm-hmm. that Malia has no, like, interest <laughs> in proving anything to Peter you know, she, she's defying expectations of the genre and of, you know, the sort of position her character is in. And is also just like, no, I will figure this out. Like, as somebody who's completely alone in her position as a character, she can really only rely on herself and ultimately styles. And so she does. Yeah, and it's... I don't know. It's very interesting because, like, Malia technically has a dad. Like, she has that dad. Uh, who we never see again. Mr. Tate, whose Mr. first Tate. name I don't know. Uh, I who's no got the idea. dog and the bear traps. Mm-hmm. And I, I, the show has done um, a lot of work uh, to kind of set up a really positive relationship between Malia and the sheriff. Um, so there's like almost this juxtaposition between Peter as a dad and the sheriff as a dad. Um, and... I don't know. I find that that really interesting because Malia is a person who probably could be corrupted and manipulated in the, under the right circumstances, but she has this support that she's able to um, defy kind of what might be her instincts, which is, oh, Peter's my dad. Like yes. she has she has the pack and she has styles specifically. Yeah, I mean, I think especially when you're sort of, this is like, when it's like a little bit like, man versus society you need support to be able to defy you know your expectations oh for sure um and sort of separate from malia peter um does nothing but defy anybody because he is a malignant asshole in the best way by the way like we love this yeah 
I, I love a villain who can float on either side, just depending on how he's feeling or who's useful to who at any given moment. And the fact that Peter is the sort of ever-present person who does that is wonderful. And this is one of this one of the seasons where you're like, oh, Peter, real evil. Peter and is I the worst. That. He gets what he wants, and I'm into that. There was a brief moment in the episode previous where you're like, Peter is on our side. He wants to kill Kate. Peter is on nobody's side. He defies everybody because he's only on his side. And he also sort of um, defies anybody else's definition of power mm-hmm. um, in stupid ways because Peter is... Peter would be like us. He'd be offended to not be on the Deadpool. <laughs> um, and I think that there's a really interesting structure here where he sits apart from everyone. Even when he has allies, he goes against them. And sometimes that can really behoove him. And sometimes it leads us in the position where Scott will kick his ass in the church and be <laughs> like, you're on your own, douchebag. Yeah. And this is one of the moments where Peter is ultimately failed by his defiance. Yeah. And I think particularly because Peter is defying nature itself, like werewolf lore, because Scott is a true alpha. Yeah. And that, I mean, we'd never really get it laid out for us um, how powerful a true alpha is, blah, blah, blah. But we know Scott is tremendously powerful and that people fear him and that Peter's entire life is dedicated to killing this 17-year-old boy. Pathetic. Why are you so obsessed with me? (laughs) Why are you so obsessed with me? Um, And Peter's kind of like defiance of nature where he says, I can take down this true alpha is what gets his ass kicked. Mm-hmm. Um, and mostly because he ends up standing alone. I like if they had not been interrupted, Peter would have gotten exactly what he wanted. Um, but because he denied the nature and lore of werewolves and also um, denied like how powerful the pack is together. Yeah. He loses. Yep. He does. Should we talk a little bit about Derek and Brayden, but Derek, but mostly Derek who's better now. He's <laughs> fixed him. He died, but he's better. Now. Brayden was like, I can fix him. And she was right. <laughs> so Derek has sort of been, I don't want to be like complicit, but like coming to terms with the fact that he's going to die for pretty much the whole season. Um, he's not too happy about it. No, but I think that Derek is far more like, he is far more honoring of the rules of the universe than Peter would ever be. And we see that. Um, and what Derek mostly defies in this episode is expectations <laughs> because we, for a minute there, you're like, he did. He's gone. Oh my God. Imagine if they killed Derek in the season after killing Allison, that would have been so, <laughs> so cruel. So much, especially considering all of the other times we've just assumed that Derek is dead. Yeah. Um, for this to be the one you'd be like, Oh my God. Yeah. Um, but Derek returns in the form of, of basically his mother. And I think that there has been a lot of pressure on Derek basically throughout the entire series that he has never been able to live up to the place that Talia held in their community. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of talked about in, um, three a a little bit. And it's kind of an overlying, like an underlying thing ever since we find out about Paige and everything that Derek has been through previous to, um, the series, and to be able to stand up and fully shift into a wolf and then fight some berserkers completely naked is both <laughs> impressive and also, were you cold? 
It's the desert at night. You would have been a little cold. Yeah, I love um I love this arc for Derek and particularly when you put it next to Peter because Peter's whole thing is that he wants to reclaim his power and so much of that is rooted in the family that he came from. He says very specifically, I want my family's power back. Um, and he clearly is not the rightful inheritor of that. It's Derek. And that is because Peter is constantly defying what li- literally everything we know about Talia. Whereas Derek is like, I'm going to accept like the natural order of the world. And I'm, I'm going to become kind of this benevolent, helpful force. Um, Cause he just like, he just says very simply, I just want to help. Yeah. Sad my werewolf powers are gone. Cause I just want to help. And he's rewarded. Yeah, he is. And I think what's kind of wonderful is that he is rewarded without actually even needing it at that point. Because Brayden is like, I don't have powers, but I am powerful. She's Um, got it on lock. God, she's the best. And I think their relationship is so good. Mm -hmm. Those two are so massively effed up that the only people they would be perfect for is each other. And it's great when people like that can meet. I'm so into it. Yeah. And I think... um, I think... Brayden is sort of defying Derek by merely even believing in him that he can do this without powers, mm-hmm. which is something that Derek is, like I said, has come to terms with, but maybe needs somebody else in his corner. I would say so. Yeah. And Brayden really treats it as like a, well, no shit. You're going to get your life together and you're going to start wielding a gun yeah. and it's going to be fine. Cause I said so. Yeah. She, I mean like Derek, if, if Derek needs anything out of a partner, it's somebody who's going to like hit him with a broom and be like, get going. Come on. Whack. <laughs> you can do it. Yeah. Um, I think we need to wrap up our discussion on the main part of our show before we move into our season wrap up about Scott. Scott McCall. Oh, Scott dear. Scott is like, I mean, it's funny because you're like, Scott's barely in this episode. Uh, just his soulful, soulful eyes. Find that little berserker mask. Tyler Posey's so handsome. He's so handsome. He also... <laughs> The thing that really cracks me up about the berserkers is that they're so tall and Tyler Posey really isn't that tall. So he comes out of his berserker, uh, outfit, his costume, and he loses like five inches. Yeah. (laughs) But he does, he makes it out. I mean, like I said earlier, like I love a winter soldier plot and this can, I think one exists in pretty much every teen television show where somebody is like brainwashed into killing a loved one pick a show it's in there um and you know scott scott didn't even actually need that much like impetus to break through it was one thing and then he was fully present and broke the mask himself you know it was so much more about his own willingness to fight through whatever was shielding him from seeing reality Mm -hmm. and True Alpha Scott McCall. True Alpha Scott McCall, who was reacting to something from his beta. Yeah. What a wonderful mother Scott has turned out to be. Yeah. Well, I mean, they tell us over and over again that like the bond between an alpha and a beta is like that of parent and child. Um, and perhaps even stronger than Which that. Which is why it's such a good um, thing to put in comparison to what Peter is being like, well, you're my beta, Scott. And Scott was like, maybe you should have paid child support, <laughs> Peter. Yeah, Peter's whole attitude is you're my beta and I own you. you. Yeah. You're my beta and I own you. Where Scott is like, you're my beta and I love I you. Love and Liam you. is like, love is a strong word, weirdo. <laughs> We're brothers now. <laughs> 
I wish he'd said that. I know. We're brothers. <laughs> oh, it would have been, I was already cheesy with him repeating the line. It would have mm-hmm. been so much worse if he was like, we're brothers. Yeah. Cause they actually have not really hung out all that much this season. <laughs> no, I, I liked the callback from, from, uh, the previous episodes because I, I feel like it's been long enough that that callback is like fine. It's yep, yep, not yep. as cheesy. Um, but yeah, Scott McCall, this is another breaking through the mountain ash circle moment for him. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really a really good callback. And we kind of see, like, it feels like everybody else in this episode who kind of did stuff like that had a mini moment of it. And it just sort of really draws attention to the fact that Scott does this consistently. Yes. Scott comes back to life, <laughs> like, in a full Lazarus plot line in 6B. And this is all leading up to that. Because if we didn't have all of this stuff, we could mm-hmm. not have that and have it work. Yeah. And it kind of cool because like yes of course scott is worth rescuing just on the basis that like he styles his best friend and he's the leader of the pack quite literally but the fact that he is the one who can who is consistently a superhero and they come to rescue him and he does not disappoint yeah 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 i mean and not only that not only does he defy the you know encapsulation of being a berserker he also defies peter in that final battle which looks really stupid it is i'm sorry that is the worst the fight choreo has looked in a really long time in a a long time and particularly because we often praise like the gore and um you know the, the moments of violence that are pretty carefully chosen. Which is funny because I thought a lot of the stuff in the beginning of the episode was really good. I think the whole like Kira go winding through the hallways was like excellent So horror. creepy. Yeah. And really good gore too. Mm-hmm. And then I was just kind of like, I was it because they were fighting in the open space? Was it because there was like an audience around just two people fighting, which always makes for like, yikes are great. Yeah. Um... But yeah, and he has this whole conversation with Peter where he is like, I'm not you. I'll never be you. Uh, you are a monster, and I defy anything that you could have possibly put into me when you made me a werewolf. Yeah, and well, Scott in that moment is also defying things that other characters have echoed, not just in this season, but in previous seasons. Um, because, you know, Jennifer, before she's brutally murdered, I mean, she'd already been kind of brutally beat up, but before Peter is the one who finally kill her, he's like, I've always been the alpha. And yeah. Meredith says that he's the alpha. Like people are like, Peter is that's so embarrassing peter you're not deucalion get over it (laughs) yeah um well he does his whole little wolf out transformation this is the first time in a long time we've seen peter as a full wolf yeah well because up until now he doesn't gain anything by people knowing how strong he is that's true Um, that man plays the long game the longest game man i have questions about it well we'll get to q's nose in just a minute um no but scott Scott is constantly defying the laws of nature, physics, people's expectations. I think even Scott sort of defies levels of human nature in the way that, like, we keep joking in this episode (laughs) that we're vain, but it's also like you will generally act in, you know, terms of self... um, Your own self-interest. Your own self-interest. When was the last time Scott did that? Mm-hmm. He's Scott is built different. <laughs> well, it's one of those moments where it's like Scott always has to save the day, and now people came to save Scott because he would do it for them. Yeah, it's 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 the end of it's a wonderful life. Yeah, yeah. 
And everyone's bringing money. You hate It's a Wonderful Life. I wasn't going to say it. I know, but, but I, I saw do. it in your eyes when you said it, but I love It's a Wonderful Life. Um, and I cry thinking about the ending. So we should move on to Q's and O's. Are you ready? Let's do it. Do you have any questions? Yeah. Okay, go ahead. I want to say that I liked this. I liked the wrap up. I kind of wish that, you know, the season had focused on this particular arc. Um, but I literally was trying to puzzle out the um timeline of all of this because kate is explaining she's like when i got here the berserkers were waiting for me how why and then she's like well i met someone who taught me how the berserkers work okay that's peter so was peter the one who helped her break away from the calaveras blah 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 but that doesn't make any sense because we see them have their little moment where they make a deal how long do you think that game was for Kate, like, how far do you think that goes back? Truly, well, genuinely. I well, the thing about the berserkers waiting for her is that I think that like there's this sort of idea that they're like um, inactive until the Bone Woman returns, mm-hmm. and because that is the Church of the Were Jaguars, um, the Nahual. yeah, the Nawal, yeah. Uh, I think that even her very presence would like awaken them. I think that there's I, if Teen Wolf investigated that, I'd be interested, but they didn't, so I'm giving them. So. A brief benefit of the doubt. You're welcome, Teen Wolf. I never do this. Um, I think that there's just an element of like her own power awakening mm-hmm. them. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things where I'm like, I'm not going to think too hard about it because it's not as glaring an issue as like It's the also just not worth it. <laughs> it's not worth it. This is a teen show. Um, okay, question. Yeah. This might be something that could literally be answered, but perhaps it is more philosophical. If after achieving true alpha status, Scott killed someone on purpose, not manslaughter, would he still be an alpha? Um... Something Peter says in this episode makes me think, yes, he goes, you've never even killed even when it's justified. Mm -hmm. And the whole idea behind the eyes changing is that it's to take the life of an innocent. Mm. Interesting. I'd like to, I'd like to know. Like, I think if Scott killed Peter, he'd still be, he'd still be enough. I think some people would be better for it. Um, don't kill Peter. Not me. I love Peter. I love Peter. Yeah. Um, those are my questions. Do you have any? I have a question just for you, and this is general. This is maybe a writing question. Do you mm-hmm. think that we are set up for season five? No. In the way that season three set us up for season four? Not really. Um, I mean, I think that they're trusting the recently acquired and expanded upon knowledge of the top floor of Eichenhaus to do a lot of heavy lifting. Um, and there's still the, the like mystery of um, what parish is. So there's questions that you have going into um, a- another season. But I honestly, honest to God, it could have ended. Like just from a, a writing perspective, like I think this wraps it up neatly as possible if you were anticipating another season. But I don't think... Um, if I were not watching this in like a binging capacity, um, I don't know what questions I would have had. I don't know if I would have been interested. I think if somebody, I think if somebody approached me and was like, yeah, network negotiations were going on around this time, I would have been like, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because everyone gets like a little moment. Yeah. At the end. Um, it feels kind of like a little, uh, clipping together. <laughs> I, by the way, think mm-hmm. that this is an excellent series, uh, season finale. I agree. Yeah. 
I I even think it's better than like the the finales of well I think three A the three A finale is really good. I think it might be I, I find this to be better than probably the season two and one, maybe three B finale. Mm-hmm. Um I mean obviously Allison's death impacts that where it's very emotional. Um I but you're right, like I don't actually think it's leading to much after, which is like you have when you're writing television, like you do consider that it is serial and that you're going to continue. Um, and then like, you know, you know that there are shows that didn't think they were going to get renewed and then did, or did think they were going to get renewed and then didn't. And you can see that in the finales of whatever, however it ends. Um, yeah. So if that's the way it crumbled, I was just wondering if you thought that this was a good setup for season five. Um, that was my only question. Do you have any observations? Yeah. Um, I loved the little moment in the car where Malia is talking to Peter and she says, Scott says we don't kill people. Not, I don't believe in killing people. Not, I would feel bad if I killed someone. Scott says. Yeah. Um, Malia is trying so hard. I mean, I think Malia is, is still like sort of finagling with her own moral compass. And until then she has to rely on people who have, very secure ones and Mm -hmm. scott's one of those people and i think that that's really really sweet actually well there's a lot of really sweet moments in this episode i think like the fact that liam hasn't seen star wars that like connection to scott yeah the himbo (laughs) to himbo like telepathy between scott and liam is should not be underestimated (laughs) so good um i really wish that there had been more of a moment between Derek and scott at the end because Derek loves Scott. Yeah, the fact that they just sort of do the bro nod at each other, they, it is, I can tell from that bro nod that they're not going to see each other for a really long time. I don't think either of those characters would not go to each other and actually acknowledge it because of everything they've gone through together. And especially Scott, who is so compassionate and so physically emotional with his friends, Mm -hmm. feels very weird that they're like, they bro nod at each other. Well, Derek literally says on the way that he is prepared to give up his life to save Scott and also Kira, but mostly Scott because he loves Scott. That's his boy. That's his boy. His brother now. Ugh. Um, it yeah. is cringy, Derek. Why did you say that? Um, yeah, despite really, really liking this episode, I thought the lighting in uh, La Iglesia was gorgeous. I really liked it. Um, but the fight sequence. I liked it until the fight. I actually, one of my observations is that I was like, this is really dark. It's really excellent horror. Everything that Kara was doing through the hallways. And then the second they're in like the sort of, um, like actual chapel area of it, Mm -hmm. uh, it was too light and the fight looked weird. It looked super weird, which is frustrating because I feel like we can usually trust Russell yeah. With this. Not that I felt let, I wasn't let down. I was no. just confused. Confused. Um, I have one more thing. Uh-huh. Um, cause it's not a question you can answer. It's more of like a frustration. Um, the yellow wolf Spain. I was so convinced. I actually think that they brought up yellow wolf Spain like three seasons ago and we're just forgetting about it. Um, possibly. I'm pretty sure it just kills you. I'm pretty sure it's supposed to just kill you, but the way that Chris t- one talks about Peter, it's like, it'll knock him out because of course, like in small doses, it'll knock you out and not kill you. But he literally, Derek gets shot with a wolfsbane bullet, not a yellow wolfsbane, but they, the way that they like, he hides it in his vault. Yeah. Um, his okay. little secret locker. 
which was that just actually a dehydrator? It feels like it was just a dehydrator. <laughs> uh, not to give Teen Wolf any more credit than it deserves. Maybe it affects the Jaguars different from the Wolves. Boo, I know, boring. Maybe. Um, but yeah, Derek gets shot with regular degular wolf Spain in the fourth episode of the first season, and <laughs> Styles almost has to cut off his arm. His own 127 hours moment. Yeah. Yeah. They could have given Derek a robot arm. <laughs> Teen Wolf. You gotta start thinking, uh, Missing man. out on the robot arm bolt. Yeah. Um, what are some of your observations? I already kind of talked about the Nishiko-Kira parallel to the Allison Victoria moment, which mm-hmm. I just... I thought was really excellent. Um, so few uh, like shows actually investigate like re- like the relation the realistic relationships that teenagers have with their mother. Um, a lot of shows are like my mom is my best friend, and it's like when you're 16 and a girl, you're like, "Mom, you are my best friend. I will kill you if you look at me." You know, <laughs> like it's so much more complex than that. And I think that those, those moments are, are really good at detailing that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also, it feels really rudimentary to be like, mom, you're my best friend. You know, I did not start thinking that until I was well into college. So yeah. 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 Mom, so, you know, yeah. Hi mom. <laughs> Hi mom. Um, yeah. um, so I just, I think that that's a really intelligent way to look at those relationships. And it's really interesting for me to parallel them, especially because obviously Kira, and I don't mean this in like, <laughs> Uh, Allison is replaceable sense, but takes the place of Allison in this season. Um, mm-hmm. And I thought that was a good callback. She fills that role, if you will. Yeah, I mentioned how bad the slow mo was. In oh my this god! Episode. I really think it wouldn't. It would have looked less bad if we didn't very clearly see Liam's face throughout the whole thing because yeah. he's making the dumbest face. I'm also like, was this a Russell issue? Is this in the editing? Is this lighting? Like, so many things go into making a TV show. I can't mm-hmm. blame anybody, but it was like that looks weird. It looks like perhaps there was some miscommunication happening in, like, the elements of production, yeah. just in general. I really liked the moment that Chris has when he, like, absolutely loses it after shooting oh. Kate. One, because he's dying, but two, because he's having, like, this horrible emotional moment. Yeah, I just, I thought that that was really important. It is really important to detail that, like, Chris loves Kate. Yes, yeah. And he's allowed to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that is probably the last of my observations. Let's do pack sets for this episode, alpha for, of the week for this episode, and then move into our season wrap up. How about that? My, uh, that sounds good. Cool. Alpha of the week, Liam. I was going to say Chris. Actually, I was going to split it between like Chris, Derek, and Liam. A three way tie. I can get down with that. I really think it's Chris. I think he has to, like, I think Derek is also, you know, kind of the whole, whole self-sacrifice thing is really big, but I think that Chris has to do, has to make the most um, personal decision mm-hmm. for the best of the pack in this in this episode. I would agree. Um, I personally want to give it to Liam because he's overcome his fears, and he he's, Scott saves himself, but Liam gives him the tools to do so. Mm-hmm. So, thumbs up. Yeah. Also, a little bit Kira. Kira, everybody. Is <laughs> the alpha? Well, of the week. this is a really big ensemble finale in yeah. a way that, like, the Calaveras are there. Yeah, I mean, like everybody yeah. has come to play at La Iglesia, so it's it, it's a big thing. Mm-hmm. Um, pack stats, pack stats, lots of pack stats. Hell yeah! Oh, Liam's little claw Shing. moment. He, yeah. I think that was his first fishing. Uh, yeah, and I want that to happen more because I just think it's so fun. Um, we had. I miss the days of running on all fours. <laughs> 
looks so stupid and I miss it. Um, we had eight eyes. Whoa. And lots of people were just kind of like glowing throughout. Um, but we got to see Kira's eyes for the first time in so long. Yeah. Which I loved. Um, three claws. Mm-hmm. One shirts and dude, it counts for two because he was fully, fully naked, <laughs> butt ass naked. Yeah, um, ads. I mean, like this isn't really the episode for that. No, I mean Lydia drives a Prius, so it's a Toyota ad technically, and like we get a little close up on her Samsung phone. Um, so I guess yeah, the classics. Yeah, phones and cars here uh-huh. in Teen Wolf. Save the sirens total till we're done. Yeah, yeah, it's been quiet, but who's to say it's a full moon tonight? Who knows? And we all know people act weird Bonkers. on the, on the full moons. Okay. So now to just move it into our season wrap up, we got to ask what works about this season? What doesn't, what are we going to miss? And what are we looking forward to? What works about this season? It's fun. It's fun. We were both really shocked by how much we ended up enjoying this season. It's basically three episodes um, prior to this one where you were like, what the F is happening? And then it gets to the finale and you're like, oh yeah, the real thing I was worried about the whole, you know, the whole time is, is back in play. I think Kate works. I think that she was actually like, sometimes you're like, oh, stop bringing people back. I think that Kate was a really smart villain to bring back. Mm-hmm. Um, Jill Wagner is like a fun, a fun presence to have in, in the cast. I think especially on the heels of Allison dying to have another Argent in play is, was, yeah, yeah was as smart as evil. Yeah. Um, I really liked that. I, I liked the introduction of so many other elements to the supernatural world, like the Calaveras and Satomi's pack. Like I like knowing that there are other werewolf packs out there. I like knowing that the Ardens aren't the only hunter family because, um, it's cool to kind of like imagine, um, the larger worlds. Yeah. I think Araya is I think what kind of is great about Araya is that she sort of simplifies hunting, like the hunting community back down to what we sort of understood it as in season one. Mm -hmm. And it refocuses like how far Chris has moved away from this, how radicalized Kate was. And I think that that is a really, like you said, good aspect of this season. Um, You know what I love about this season? Mm -hmm. Liam. Liam is here. I mean, I really, really love the first three seasons of Teen Wolf, but it kind of bummed me out that we had to wait so long for him to show up because we first got to get a beta first got to get a beta. Um, Liam is such a lovely addition to the group because he's a, a little unsure. He's not so serious. He's 15. Yeah, he's he's so younger little. than Scott was when Scott changed. And also at a sort of more emotionally immature place in his life because High school is crazy. You have people who act like they're 30 and people who act like they're three. Yeah. And Liam would fall on the younger end of that spectrum. And is new, uncertain of himself, has a lot of pressure put on him right from the beginning. Whereas Scott is kind of like so under the radar, he gets to go through his transformation a little bit like unseen. Mm -hmm. Liam has immediate pressure put on him, uh, especially from Scott being like, we're brothers now, weirdo. (laughs) And he's exceptionally good at lacrosse. And it is wonderful to have the person who Scott brought into the pack be the antithesis of himself. Mm -hmm. So smart. Yeah, especially because I... 
you know, this is always, I think the challenge when you're doing a high school show and you have to introduce new characters because of people, of course, people are like graduating and moving on. And, um, you know, the, the struggle you run into is not repeating the character dynamics that you already have. And so, um, it's very important that Liam has a best friend, but Mason is not styles. No, like I said earlier, Mason more closely resembles Lydia, Lydia. Mm-hmm. Um, and is is also sort of like Mason has areas of being Lydia that are, um, you know how like like Mason is sort of immediately kind of like cocky and sure of himself. Mm-hmm. It kind of takes until Lydia starts actually telling everybody how smart she is to get there, and it's cool that Liam enters that place. So all of a sudden we have somebody who's more mature than their friend, as opposed to like a, a, the alternating situation in between Scott and Styles. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think Liam really works. I think Malia really works. I think sort of bringing her in as a main cast in this in this season was really smart. I think Shelly Hennig is, one, so funny, and two, mm-hmm. just like, again, a good presence to have a super good balancing act. And it's also kind of nice to have somebody who I would consider, like, neutral in the face of good and evil when you have to start comparing Scott to Peter. Yeah. Um, and in terms of, like, filling out the cast, you know, because Jackson left and then Ethan and Aiden are both gone, um, to have to fill it out with another woman, I really appreciate just from, like, a, a girl power That's I didn't really get into this in the what didn't work. Not as many. Not enough. Not, we kept on being, like, lamenting, where's Lydia, where's Kira, whatever. Where are the girls? Um, but, yeah, you're right. I think the sort of idea, like, to, we, it's like... The, re- the not the replacement, but the person who was going to fill Allison's role was Kira, mm-hmm. and then to fill the other gaps, the Isaac, the Aiden, whoever was going to be Malia, mm-hmm. and that was 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 smart to me. Yeah, because then the ensemble still feels full and balanced and balanced. Yeah, because what what would you like? To, you'd say like the the pack right now is like Scott Styles Liam, and then all of a sudden the automatic other half is all women. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was cool. Yes. Um, smart to me. Uh, what else works? I I don't know. I feel like I'm... Lacrosse. Lacrosse. Always works. Lacr- we haven't had it in so long. In uh, any scenario... It is a serious grounding aspect of the show to go back to high school. Yeah. It's, it's a grounding aspect. It puts um, all of the problems in perspective... Which I appreciate because um, it it kind of helps to rebalance the stakes or help you understand kind of where the problem is. Um, and I love Coach. Anytime he shows up, I'm like, yes. Yeah. More. Yeah. Please. Orny Adams, come on the podcast. Tweeted him, you guys. <laughs> We'd um, love to talk to him. Yeah. I think that there was a little, it was grounded more in high school in this season, which I think one, it was the only way to introduce Liam and two was helpful to sort of, again, mm-hmm. weigh stakes. Um, yeah, well, particularly with, um, you know, the issue of like the Duroc and the, the alpha pack being so kind of outside the normal realm. The Nugitsune as well. Yeah, yeah. And the Nugitsune and then having the Deadpool just be like average Joes. You didn't know were supernatural and like, Oh shit. Now you got to protect all of them and stop the Deadpool. Um, I, there's like an element of, uh, being local to Beacon Hills. I think it refocused <laughs> the emotional center, you yeah. know? Um, I also think that like, because we're in the sort of lull stage between like, 
the, the absolute chaos of the no gets in a, and like before the dread doctors, this was a good thing to, to kind of, to flesh out. Mm-hmm. Um, should we move into what doesn't work about the season? Let's do it. Actually, wait, no. What was your favorite episode of the season? Oh gosh. Um, because somebody was like, my favorite episode of Teen Wolf is weaponized. And I think that ended up being my favorite episode of our rewatch. I think so too. Yeah. Really good. Love that whole episode. I think the chemist, I kind of wish the chemist had come back more than the mute did. Yeah. Oh, it's so creepy. I, I think also, especially now that like we're currently living through a pandemic. Um, yeah. it's especially scary. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. What didn't work about this season? The Deadpool. The- it well, must be said. I think that the Deadpool had potential as a separate season, but I have said this to you several times. There was a way to make this season about Kate and the Desert Wolf and having two alternating female villains who are in contention for being the villain of the season, but also like trying to get at a member of the pack. Mm-hmm. I think that that would have been so compelling where you have two people coming at you for two different reasons and that it would be a way bigger, way better way to bring Brayden in and a way bigger way in the show. I think that this, the Deadpool being the main plot of this season and then the finale and the finale and the introduction of the season having nothing to do with it was like really isolating. I think the Deadpool probably would have been an amazing season five. I would agree. Um, yeah, it's not that I dislike the Deadpool as a, a concept. Um, it really frustrated me the way that it completely unraveled. Um, and you're right, they had no connection to each other. And also, I, I've been thinking about it, and I really feel like there was so much less interpersonal drama um, in this season. And I keep thinking about how much I really love the dynamic between Brayden and Derek, and I wanted to see more of it. And I wanted to see more of the girls and I wanted to see more of people dealing with Allison being gone. There was not enough grief experienced in this season. And it's not that I want people to be like waxing poetic, weeping on the floor, but like, I think that that like grief should have been the main informing decision like maker in the season. Like how do we move on post Allison? Would we be making this decision if she was here? Are we making this this decision because she's not? And that is a far more interesting way to like look at the way that people leave you as opposed to mm-hmm. giving Scott a new girlfriend. And I love Kira, and she was introduced before Allison ever left the show. So it's not about her. It's not about at her. All. It's about the way that we moved on in a post Allison society. Yeah, and I I think about all of the really great examples of like both Allison and Isaac and Scott and Kira in season 3B trying to like figure out their relationship to one another and those like weird awkward moments and conversations that they're having um which reminds us that like they have kind of like they have an inner life outside of all of the supernatural bullshit that they're dealing with because so much of season 1 is just like Allison and Scott are like star-crossed lovers and they they love each other so much like I feel like we've really moved away from that and I don't need it to be a soap opera I just want more character yeah when the plot becomes so big and it's like like I said like I think the season did help a little bit find its emotional center but not enough and I think removing sort of the like all of these creatures are going to get killed if we don't stop anything. Like, I wish it was a more personal season where it's like, no, this is about the six of us or whatever. And because we didn't have that, it was kind of frustrating, especially after a season where we lost such an important main character. Mm -hmm. And again, 
happy to have, I think Malia ended up probably being the most heavily featured female character in this season, which is cool. Cause I like Malia, but again, Kira is the most powerful creature on the show and Lydia's powers are crazy. And we also got, you know, an, a little bit of Meredith, but not as much as I would have liked. And I think we had like three scenes where all the girls talked to each other about like that could pass the Bechdel <laughs> test in total. And that mm-hmm. is so frustrating, especially when you know your audience is predominantly female. And it's like, you cater to everybody, but like, I would have really liked to just see Malia and Kira hanging out. Especially because of the really heavy focus on Scott and Styles in 3B. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to balance it out. Yeah. I want... And none of, like, I really don't feel like we get enough attention on, you know, their own personal issues. Also, I will say, like, the reason why Lydia is sidelined, it feels like to me, is because Stidio is sidelined, because Styles has a new girlfriend. And Lydia has always existed independently of Styles. In fact, she is introduced very independently of Styles. She's a little bit on, like, Jackson's arm, but her big thing was Allison. And if Allison is no longer in this season... How does that affect Lydia? I want to talk about it. I want to think about it. And they disengaged. Yeah. It's, um, I don't think it's handled very well. No. At all. Anything else that doesn't work? Not really. I mean, I think we've spent a lot of time throughout the whole season talking about things that have really frustrated us. And, um, it's a lot of recurring themes, holes in the lore, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we've kind of covered it. Cool. Here's a more difficult question. What are you looking forward to? <laughs> I really, I've been sitting here this whole time trying to think about what my answer to this question. Liam. Is. Liam is such a big part of five, except Liam. he's got that girlfriend. We don't like <laughs> <laughs> Liam and, um, Theo. I'm looking forward to, oh, yeah. m- to meeting him. I like the addition of Cody Christian to the cast. Me too. Um, yeah, I, I like the concept of the dread doctors. I think they look cool. I like steampunk stuff. I think the idea of like, um, sort of the idea that I think the idea that you can manufacture the supernatural is fascinating. Yes. Um, I think that again, like you said, Cody Christian is a great addition to the cast. I love Theo. I like the role he ends up playing a lot in season six and we wouldn't get that without five. Um, I am excited for the journey that we're about to see Kira go on as she struggles with her powers. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, it results in her leaving the show. But, um, and you know, I actually think that we're gonna, we're headed for a bigger style season again. Mm-hmm. And I love a style season. Um, I, I think that <laughs> a lot of the work that sto- that uh, Dylan O'Brien and Tyler Posey do in this next season is very good. Mm-hmm. And. I think season five, like season four is the gateway between three and five and five is very much a different show headed, like headed by a different cast mm-hmm. with Liam and Mason, everybody. Um, and my biggest thing is that I'm looking forward to is reevaluating and hoping I really enjoy five. That was what I was going to add as well. Um, because I didn't remember particularly liking four either. And so it was really nice to sit and go through it one by one um and just in general doing teen wolf like this has really reevaluated the way that i consume tv um and what i like certain things if i hadn't completely mainlined them we'll see this yeah. is gonna be a good experiment yeah yeah so i'm i'm excited for that um alone what are you gonna miss about season four um the vibes. The, the vibes well i <laughs> here's the thing i don't love the sepia tone filter on mexico because 
guys. Why do people do that? But the season five filter? is very gray. It's very mm-hmm. blue. It's very dark. And the entire tone of season five is so much less hopeful than what we get in season four. And I think there is an element of hope that kind of holds on from season three in, mm-hmm. in four. And so I am going to miss that a little bit. Derek also is not very prominent. I'm going to miss Derek a whole lot. Um, I actually, I don't want to say that he's gone because um, clearly we were super wrong about Kira, but I feel like he stops appearing in the credits. Like he disappears for a little while mm-hmm. um, at least. And he doesn't play as much of a role. So I'm going to miss Derek and Chris as well. Steps and Chris, back, which yeah. is a bummer because we, we love him and his metal arm. Oh, yeah. you know what I'm a little excited for is I kind of like Parrish's hellhound arc. Oh, I, I do don't too. love his relationship with Lydia. It's so frustrating because I really like Parrish, Parrish as a character and I wish I would like him so much more if they hadn't pushed the Lydia thing. It felt like they were trying to, they were sitting and like being like, Oh, this is going to be provocative. And it was like, the show was kind of provocative enough for a teen show anyway, that I don't really need to see that. Yeah, um, and there was kind. There's like no way to adjust it so that I'd be okay with it. At yeah, all. they make some weird remark about her being 18, and I'm like, that doesn't fucking change anything. No, it Ew. really doesn't. That just makes anybody who's watching with like a conscious eye go, oh, they're trying to excuse it, mm-hmm. you know. But I do. I I think the hellhound is like a crazy thing, and the idea that he is like. I like the like I like the dichotomy between like the harbinger of death and then like the bearer of death. Yeah. And I I mean I think that Ryan Kelly is super capable and I think that he's very charming as Parrish and yeah. um I like that he's more prominent in the season. So that was a good and bad for season five. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know. I what else are you gonna miss from season four? Kate, weirdly. Kate and Peter. she's so good. <laughs> she's so good. Um I am gonna miss um I'm going to miss not having to think about Eichenhaus. Yeah. Ugh. You can't repress it. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I, I agree with what you were saying about kind of the tonal shift between four and, and five. Um, I'm, I'm going to miss kind of the high schoolness of it all um, or the, the teenness of it all. Cause it's still very much rooted in high school, but um, it's weird. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think I said this really early in the, in in our podcasting days that like mm-hmm. very few very few shows have a successful season 5. And Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Huh. I'm really trying to think now, but continue. And if this is if this is their bummer season, it doesn't actually matter to me because I think 6A is wonderful. Yeah, they they followed it up really well and it's not like they well they end on a bummer in the sense that like my heart hurts yeah um but i think it's okay i mean hey crystal reed comes back crystal reed does come back um i think in terms of like we've gotten so much excellence from teen wolf already it's okay i can always forgive a a little bit of garbage you Mm -hmm. know especially because i love garbage you know i do love garbage love it um to wrap things up I think that we're we are going to be going into season five with with a new attitude and special announcement from us to do season five um, in a timely manner and to make up for some of our pandemic hiatuses. You guys are about to hear us do season five in double time. We are going to start releasing our episodes twice a week. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, we're really excited about that. I think it's going to be actually really fun to one because I think we're going to be 
consuming it in a way that will make it so we don't forget what happened last episode. That was my biggest problem. Yeah. yeah. And I think that we're going to have fun just kind of going like boom, 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 boom. And I think that our listeners are going to have fun as well. Um, that wraps up season four. I, I actually had a great time with the exception of, again, like one or two episodes in the middle, mm-hmm. but we're excited. Um, I am. We have really cool bonus episodes on the horizon for you guys. Our next bonus episode is going to be an interview with the Return to Beacon Hills podcast, which uh, includes commentary from writer of Teen Wolf, Will Wallace, um, and some some really great hosts. Um, Kalissa and Kate were wonderful to talk to, and we're really excited to release that episode to you guys. I think you guys are going to be really interested in not only that interview, but also their podcast. Um, we also... And this was voted on by you, Wolfpack, (laughs) are finally doing the drunk episode. So because the second choice on that poll was Stick It, we're going to get kind of shwasty and do a bonus episode of Stick It, which is one of our favorite teen movies of all time. It's true. We're so excited about that. So in the sort of two-week hiatus between five, our fourth season and our fifth season, you guys are going to get those bonus episodes. We're pumped to release them. Um, If you guys liked this episode, if you guys have liked this podcast at all, we hope you follow us on Twitter at TeenWolf underscore ReWolf, which is also our Instagram handle. You can follow us on Tumblr at TeenWolfReWolf. And if you want to join our Facebook group and start talking to people, it's uh, Teen Wolf Rewolf Podcast. Just answer the questions. We'll let you in and you guys can start hanging out with all of the great people who listen to our podcast. If you really like this podcast, leave us a review on iTunes. If you leave us five stars, we'll read your review on the podcast. And it really helps us find new listeners um, beyond just like social and word of mouth and stuff. So leave us a review. And guys, if you really, really like this podcast, you guys can buy us a coffee, just ko-fi.com forward slash Teen Wolf Rewolf. Here's the thing. We put out a lot of bonus content. Um, we put out newsletters twice uh, twice a month. We put out bonus episodes. We're very active on our socials. We would never ask anybody to pay for that bonus content. But if you guys want to just throw us a couple bucks, we would be totally honored. We're not asking again. It's just a link in our Twitter bio. But if you want to buy us a coffee, you can do it there. Uh, we're really excited about starting season five, especially in our new format. And we hope you guys are too. And if all is said and done, I have been Christian. I've been Julia. And we hope you guys have a wolf of a week. Ow! Woo!